Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. Well, a little late start to this program, but when Adam Wainwright, you know, decides to stop in, tell us a little bit about Big League Impact, and he's in studio, you uh, acquiesce, that's for sure. And I'm Dan McLaughlin in the studios of 101 ESPN here in St. Louis. BK is out at Centene, and good morning, BK. How are you? I'm doing well, Dan. How are you doing today, my man? Uh, I am doing wonderfully well. Um, We're getting just a ton of response on the text line about Adam Wainwright. That was a fun listen, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good. I, I thought maybe the most interesting part of it was just his perspective on what next year is going to be like for him, for the team, why it's important for them to go out on top. I thought uh, hearing that kind of reinvigorated me as a fan on the outside looking in. You know, the amazing thing, and, and just off air, we were just talking um, with Adam. I said, I keep saying that Adam Wainwright, John Lester are kind of the new 100. And you've heard me say that, meaning that when we saw 100 come into the game, it was like, Ooh, wow. You know, Trevor Rosenthal is consistently throwing 98 to hundred blowing guys away. And the thing is the guys that are getting signed now and rushed to the big leagues are guys that go to the showcases. They can run, they throw hard. They're throwing 97 to hundred uh, with sync. I mean, they're, they're nasty. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing it. But when you have a guy that knows how to pitch and can locate and mix his speeds, uh, some of these guys are like, whoa, what is this? Haven't seen it. Haven't seen something like this. A guy that understands to pitch backwards and do it effectively. And I, I think that's what we're seeing with Adam Wainwright. And we're seeing with a guy like John Lester, which makes it, uh, for me, what I love about the game. Makes it fun to watch. So that was a lot of fun uh, with Adam Wainwright. He also said, uh, he goes, I don't pull for the Cubs and I'm not pulling for the Dodgers. And so the Dodgers and the Giants are going tonight. Uh, I love a winner take all. And especially with two historic franchi- uh, franchises like this, like we saw at the time when Pedro Martinez was dealing with the Boston Red Sox and Roger Clemens had gone to the Yankees. And you see those kind of guys and you see those teams and you see what's on the line. That's what makes tonight so much fun. I can't wait to watch game five tonight. It's great, and this is what baseball is all about, is rivalries like this potentially happening in the postseason. My only my only wish, Dan, is that this was the NLCS because I think there's a decent chance this is the best series that you get out of the National League's uh, playoffs. I, I think whoever wins this one will end up advancing to the World Series. I just think both of these teams are quite a bit better than what you're seeing from the Braves thus far. But, man, this is, this is as good as it gets. In a DS series, to go to game five, winner take all, you know everybody's going to be available if needed out of the pin. This is what it's all about, man. And both of these teams are full of stars, and both of these teams are full of depth. So uh, you couldn't ask for a whole lot more on a Thursday night. What do you think? What's your prediction tonight? Who do you, have, you, have you wavered at all since uh, 24 hours ago? <laughs> No, I, I have it, which should tell everybody that they should go the other way. Uh, that's t- typically how these things go. I like the Dodgers. Um, I just I, I have thought since day one this year that they are the best team in all of baseball, much less the National League. 
Now, I did not give the Giants enough credit. Uh, they won 107 games for a reason. They are a tremendous baseball team. God, are they good, and they have so much depth. But if I were to say any team, any game, just for a one-game sample, I'm taking the Dodgers. So I'm, I'm going to go with that side tonight. Okay, we've got a good guest coming up, and we're going to be talking it over with him in just a moment. And you want to tell us all about our guest, uh, BK, and who we got coming up? Yeah, we've got Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. Yes, so he wrote recently about some of the rule changes that have taken place down in the minors. He's also one of the best in the business when it comes to just breaking down players that are down in the minors. And yesterday, uh, Juan Yepes, Zach Thompson, and I believe Nolan Gorman made their Arizona Fall League debuts uh, for the Cardinals. So I'm curious to see his perspective on those three guys in particular and some of the rule changes that he's seen down in the minors. And let's welcome in right now Kyle Glazer to 101 ESPN. Hey, Kyle, thanks for your time this morning. How are you? Doing all right. How are you guys? We're doing well. Uh, BK was just talking about all the different things happening with the rule change. I'm going to jump right into it because I, I find it fascinating what's happening uh, with the minor leagues, with limited shifts. They're, they're going to do that, too, at the Arizona Fall League. As a matter of fact, no shifts uh, with three infielders on either side of the bag. We had electronic strike zone, all those different things. Anything stand out for you that's now been able to be quantifiable is maybe some improvements and to look forward to in the major league game? Yeah, the main thing is pitch clocks. They instituted those in the low A West, which is formerly known as the California League. And once they did that, the average game time went down from three hours and two minutes to two hours and 41 minutes. Wow. Now, it's no secret the average time of a major league game has been increasing. This year, the average time of a nine-inning game was the longest in major league history, three hours and 10 minutes. And only 10 years ago, it was two hours and 50 minutes. So... Trying to get it down back into that 250 range is something that Major League Baseball wants to do and probably is best for the game long term. So pitch clocks are the main thing. All these other rules changes have a chance to be seen in Major League Baseball in a few years, but pitch clocks are priority number one. Kyle, going into the season, one of the things that I was most interested in finding out was about the uh, the base running, that the, the changes that we had seen, both in terms of the pickoff rules and also the larger bases uh, that they implemented down in the lower levels. What were the results of that? Did we see more base stealing down in the lower levels? We did. We saw base stealing, the number of attempts, as well as the success rates go up in the lower levels, low A and high A. And that's another big part of this. Major League Baseball wants to bring action back into the game, more stolen bases, quicker quicker pace, really of everything. Um, the larger bases helped stolen bases a little bit. That was at AAA. But the primary benefit of those is less collisions around the bag, less injuries. Um, so that's more about player health and safety. That's kind of the main driver of that. But the the pickoff limitations, just making sure that a, we don't have situations where guys are throwing over six, seven times because even the most diehard baseball purists get annoyed at that. And then also knowing that if you throw over the first two times, you have to get the third time or it's a balk, makes pitcher makes the pitcher think twice about it. And really more often than not, they just go to the plate. The runner has a little bit more leeway to get a bigger lead and go. So we did see a more uh, exciting brand of baseball in terms of guys going more often and being more successful on steals. Now it's just a matter of whether or not they scale that to uh, across the minors. Boy, anytime we get a, a rough night with a home plate umpire, you, you just hear about people saying, oh, we need the electronic strike zone. Well, it was being tried uh, in the minor leagues. It's been done in the Arizona Fall League, and there's been some issues at times with that. Do you see that 
in in terms of the technology, do you see it coming to fruition in the next couple of years where they've got this thing down and, and it should be uh, good to go? It still needs a little bit of work. It certainly won't be ready in a year or two. You know, a lot can change in three, four years. So I don't want to say it definitely won't. But I think people who see, like you said, an umpire having a rough night behind the plate immediately get on Twitter and scream, we need robo-umps. Right now, the technology is worse than the human umpires. Uh, There's just a lot of balls that are being called strikes that really are not strikes, but they're kind of fooling the technology. They had to change the size of the zone this year in low A southeast. They had to move where the ball is being registered, where it crosses the plate. And even then, it was kind of very hit or miss. There was some frustration. So um, the technology just isn't there yet. It's still a work in progress. We're talking to Kyle Glazer of Baseball America here on 101 ESPN. Kyle, when you look at some of the other changes that were made down in the minors, is there anything else that stands out to you as something that was either interesting to you at first and now you're like, okay, just throw that out. That's not going to Or something that maybe you were skeptical of that now you're interested in seeing how it develops over the next year or two. So this wasn't in the minors. It was in the partner Atlantic League, which is the former independent league, and they moved the mound back by a foot at midseason. And you'll remember that Major League Baseball made this whole big deal about, you know, if you do that, it essentially knocks a mile an hour off the pitch. It'll make it easier for hitters and create more contact. It didn't. Pitchers adjusted really, really quickly. They were able to get more movement on their pitches with the extra foot. Strikeouts didn't go down at all. So that's actually an idea that, A, was, you know, certainly gimmicky, and, and a lot of people were very, very concerned about what it would mean for increased pitcher injuries and, um, you know, what it would do to change the game. In reality, it didn't really have the desired effect Major League Baseball wanted, and it's kind of been junked. Anything else that came out of the Athletic League uh, that, that you saw that you thought, okay, that, that's got some legs to it. Maybe they, they continue to maybe fine-tune it, but there's some legs to it, and I like it. That, that's something that maybe Major League Baseball looks at. Well, a lot of what was in the Atlantic League that they kind of liked, they put into the minors this year. So the rule where uh, you have to disengage from the rubber to attempt a pickoff attempt, that started in the Atlantic League, for example. So uh, not really. I mean, I think anything that they liked from the Atlantic League in 2019 that they wanted to implement in the minors, they already did. And now it's about, okay, this was in the minors this year. They staggered different rules at different uh, levels. Now in the Arizona Fall League, they're kind of mishmashing all the rules together and seeing how they all play play uh, at once. And then we'll see what they do next year. But I think we are going to see some of these rules changes expand to more levels of the minors sooner rather than later. Kyle, I did want to ask you about the Cardinals prospects because I know that is something that you focus on over at Baseball America. Who was a prospect that from where they were at the beginning of the season to where they are now, whether it be in rankings or just your feel for them, maybe boosted their profile the most this year within the Cardinal system. Yeah, Jordan Walker, who was their first-round pick last year, again, very, very highly regarded. Again, first-round pick. A lot of people knew him. A lot of people liked him. Definitely thought of as a good player. But he went out this year and just absolutely destroyed baseballs. I mean, how hard this guy was hitting the ball combined with his approach, combined with just his you know, feel for managing that bat was really, really remarkable. He's someone who, again, a good prospect. A lot of people liked him, but now he's considered one of the top 50 prospects in the game. Just boosted his stock hugely, and uh, this guy can straight out mash. Absolutely. And there, there's some others too. And, you know, this time last year, we we're watching Randy Rosarena do his thing. And Matthew Libertor is at a, side, a satellite camp. 
He finished up the final 10 games this year at AAA, making that big jump, A ball to AAA, finished up well. Uh, where do you see Matthew Libertor in spring training for the Cardinals next year in terms of maybe where he starts or his role uh, coming out of spring and potentially uh, being with the big league club? Yeah, he's certainly positioned himself to pitch in the major leagues next year. You know, whether that's on opening day, you know, that's going to depend a little bit on injuries and, you know, maybe some things that happen around him, not just him in a vacuum. Uh, but there's no question. He's a very, very good young pitching prospect. You know, at the start of this year, he was living more in kind of that 90 to 93 range and really just pitching, you know, moving the ball in the round of the zone, um, really good secondaries. And then at the end of the year, he started throwing harder. Velocity really kicked up and he was starting to touch some 98s and living in the mid 90s. So, um, I mean, he's got pitchability, he's got stuff, and he's very, very nearly ready. Again, is it opening day next year? Maybe. Again, it's going to depend on things that happen beyond just him, but. I firmly expect to see him in St. Louis at some point next season. Kyle, one of the guys that Cardinals fans have been waiting for a while now is Nolan Gorman, and he destroyed the baseball, as you mentioned about Jordan Walker, both down at double-A and then at triple-A as well. It was like a one-week adjustment period for him, and then the numbers started taking off the way that every fan would have hoped for. Do you anticipate him potentially playing into the Cardinals' plans next year, whether it be opening day or maybe by May or June, either at second base or DH? Yeah, absolutely. He's, again, another guy who's positioned himself to be in St. Louis next year. And that's going to be the biggest thing you kind of hit on there at the end is whether or not the DH comes back to the National League. You know, they moved him to play second base this year, and it's a work in progress. Again, anytime someone is doing something for the first time in their lives, it's very rarely the best they're ever going to be at it. He's continuing to work, continuing to get better. He's playing second base in the fall league. Um, but realistically, we saw how valuable the Cardinals' infield defense was this year. And a big part of that is Tommy Edmond at second base is a pretty good defender. So, you know, a situation where if the DH comes back to the National League next year, you know, maybe that means some more days off for Arenado or, you know, they can do some different things there to get Gorman's bat in the lineup a couple different ways. If it doesn't and he has to play second base every day, it might be a situation where you leave him in AAA a little longer just to get more reps and more experience at the position. I, I think it's interesting. I always love watching the Arizona Fall League. I think the Cardinals have something like seven or eight different guys uh, going to the Arizona Fall League, and one of those will be Jordan Hicks. Um, Jordan Hicks, do you do you see him potentially – and do could you see him project out as a starter? There's been some talk that maybe he could be a starter uh, for effectiveness and for health reasons. Um, as hard as he throws, the the I mean the velocity is just ridiculous. Do you, could you see him project as a starter potentially? A lot would have to happen. You know, the thing with Jordan Hicks, even when he was a starter in the minors, was it's great stuff, but it's not really a whole lot of command. It's it's a situation where. Again, he's just going to beat out stuff you, but we see starters, you got to be able to paint the corners a little bit, you know, repeat your delivery and hold it over six, seven innings. Hicks is more of a guy who's just going to throw the heck out of the ball and get, get you to swing and miss or you know, weak contact with that nasty sinker he has. Then you add in the health component as well. Um, again, a lot would have to happen for him to be able to take the ball every fifth day 30, 32 starts a year. I'm not going to sit here and say it's impossible. A lot of guys have made the transition, but just given his health and his stuff and just kind of his style of pitching, it's going to be a while. It would, it would take a, a lot of things would have to click for that to work. 
Kyle Glazer of Baseball America is our guest on the Danny Mac Show. Kyle, a guy that Cardinals fans were really excited about maybe a year or two ago was Zach Thompson. He was right up towards the top of many rankings for prospect prospects list within the Cardinal system. And he's kind of disappeared from some of those lists over the last year or so. He made his debut down in the Arizona Fall League last night, and I believe it was three scoreless innings, if I'm not mistaken. What have you seen from Zach Thompson, and what is his potential at this point? He had a very, very rough year this year. So the biggest thing with Zach Thompson is he's always struggled with injuries. I shouldn't say always. He has very often struggled with injuries. And there were more than a few times this year where we talked to scouts who were seeing him and watched him ourselves, and he just looked at him like, this guy just doesn't look healthy. I mean, he was throwing, you know, upper 80s, really laboring, just didn't look like he had his best stuff that night. Um, when he's right, he's able to get into, you know, the 90 through 94 range, touch higher. So I think with Zach Thompson, again, you have to see a guy who, okay, can he realistically take the ball every fifth day, 30 to 32 starts a year, and give you his best stuff every time out? He has never done that in his career. Um, so, you know, what he did in the fall league, where maybe it is that, three inning, you know, bridge role, a guy who is, you know, a long reliever spot starter and those guys are important. You know, that might be the best role for him. Or if you just put him in the pen and say, Hey, just throw us just give us one inning every couple of days and blow it out from the left side, maybe that works for him. Um again he has the stuff to start, he has the pedigree to start. It's just a question of health and ability to consistently have your best stuff over hundred and eighty innings. And he just hasn't done that and that included this year. I'm interested in Mason Wynn because he's a guy that throws hard. He can play the infield. And after you've seen what happened with Otani, uh, you wonder if some teams, and he's probably the outlier because he's going to be an MVP, but I wonder if some teams uh, are going to allow certain guys, especially if they're signed as two-way players, to continue to do that in the minor leagues. So kind of a two-pronged question here. Mason Wynn and then the idea of letting guys continue to pitch or continue to play a position if uh, their ability allows them to do that. So speaking specifically to Mason Wynn, the overwhelming consensus was they should just make him a pitcher only. Um, they, they just evaluators did not see the offensive potential to where you would keep playing him both ways. His, you know, his best attribute is his arm strength, and there was really a sense that hey, just let him focus on pitching. That's what he's going to be best at. The bat is just not something that's ever going to make a significant impact in the major leagues. That was the overwhelming consensus. So, in terms of your second question, it really depends on the player, and it takes an incredibly special player. And it's very, very difficult. And to be honest, I'm not sure the infrastructure exists in the minor leagues to effectively develop a two-way player like that. You know, Japan, they allowed him to do it. It was a lot less restrictive. Um, U.S. player development, again, I just player development systems, I just don't know if the infrastructure exists. We've seen some guys try. You know, probably the best guy to do it in recent years was Brendan McKay, the Rays' first-rounder. He was a front-line college pitcher and a front-line college hitter. He would have been the guy probably to do it. And as he moved up the minors, pitching, he was just so much more advanced than he was at the plate. And at a certain point, the race said, we need this arm. And so they just moved him up, even though the bat wasn't ready. So I I think that it's possible, but it's so, so hard. I think we have to remember Shohei Otani. I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime type of guy. Um, it, it's, it's very, very difficult to replicate the level of athlete he is. And just the person he is, it takes so many things beyond just, you know, ability. It's work ethic, it's discipline, it's it's crazy athleticism, the likes of which 
almost don't exist in baseball these days. So um, we'll see. Teams are going to be more open to it, whether it will work. Uh, we haven't found a guy yet domestically for whom the talent level would really be there to make it work. Final question that I have for Kyle Glazer of uh, Baseball America here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kyle, a guy that I've been fascinated this year by seeing some of the numbers that he's putting up is Juan Yepes, and he's down in the Arizona Fall League right now as well. The numbers are absurd. I mean, a 290 hitter down in AAA this year with a 380 on base percentage and a 590 slug. That seems like it would play, but I've fallen in love with guys that produced really well at the AAA level before, and then it looks like they're a 4A player. What is Juan Yepes? Is, is he somebody that can contribute next year to the a big league club as a bench bat, or does he profile as potentially more than that? Again, he will be greatly helped out if the DH comes to the National League next year just to give him additional avenue for at-bats. Um, he used to play a little bit of first base, third base, a couple different positions. Now it's really first base only. He's just gotten bigger and stronger, and he is kind of that big, burly cornerback guy. Uh, yeah, the overall consensus is, look, he can really, really hit a ball far. Um, you know, there's a little bit of split consensus, a split idea of, okay, is this going to work in the majors versus is it that 4A guy? But the same things were said about Luke Voigt. Uh, I mean, I think the best-case scenario is kind of something where, you know, again, it's that big, burly master who plays first base and hits the heck out of the ball. Um, you know, I think a Luke Voigt is kind of the best-case scenario. Whether he is Luke Voigt, we'll find out. But, um, yeah, there's potential there. There are people who like him and like what they saw this year, um, and I think there is a very real chance that he becomes an effective player in the major leagues. It's just a matter of, okay, is he going to get an opportunity with the Cardinals? And, and a lot of that does hinge on whether the DH comes back to the National League. Hey, Kyle, great information. Really appreciate your time. Love reading your work at uh, Baseball America. And uh, let's not be strangers and catch up again this offseason. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. You got it. That's Kyle Glazer of Baseball America. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. BK is going to be with Alex for the next three hours, and they're out at uh, the EMB Granite Studios at Centene. There is some hockey news, by the way. I don't know if you saw this, uh, BK, but uh, Elliot Friedman has reported that uh, Kachuk in Ottawa gets seven years for $57.5 million. What do you think? A lot of money for a very good player. He is more than deserving of it. The The talk had been that he wanted more of a bridge deal so i'm a little surprised by the seven years that's that's the thing that it sounds like he gave in on a little bit and i'm assuming he probably got a little bit more in terms of the salary on an annual basis as a result of that i I immediately go of course to matthew kachuk because brady was always expected to stay in ottawa He, he likes it there matthew seems less interested in staying in his current spot um and if you're going to get 8.2 for Brady, I would imagine Matthew's probably going to get something similar or exceeding that next year. Um, that That's a lot of money, man. And I'm not sure that the Blues have that kind of capital currently available to them. So currently, I think th- yes. Th- this has more of an impact on the Matthew Kachuk sweepstakes than anything else if you're a Blues fan. All right. I'm sure you guys are getting into that. What else is coming up on the show? 
Yeah, so coming up today, we are going to talk about the lack of offense around the postseason and what it means for the Cardinals. I've also been interested, Dan, in some of the trends among starting pitchers in the postseason. This has been a long time coming, but it's just become even more exaggerated this year. We'll do that. I've got a few guys that I think could interest the Cardinals this year in terms of the secondary market, so not looking at the top end shortstops, but kind of the secondary market this offseason. And Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst, will join us coming up at 1230. Lots to get into between 11 and 2. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.